Well, friends, today you're going to hear the real story of Norma McCovey, the Roe in Roe versus Wade. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, well, the headlines are everywhere, blaring Jane Roe's deathbed confession, anti-abortion conversion, quote, all an act paid for by the Christian right. Is this true? If so, what are the implications? Michael Brown, great to be with you today on the line of fire. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-3487-884. I'm joined by David Benham, together with his brother Jason. They have been in the front lines of pro-life activism, reaching out, helping, caring for many years. And they grew up under their dad, Flip Benham, who was the man that God used to lead Norma McCorvey to the Lord. Was it all a sham? What was actually going on? We're going to get to the truth today. We're going to play some clips from a new documentary that's coming out on, on FX on Hulu that alleges that, that she was paid by the right. The whole thing was an act uh, Norma McCarvey is not here to speak for herself anymore. These are the final words recorded. What do we make of them? David, thanks so much for joining us today in the midst of your busy schedule. Oh, it's such an honor to be on with you, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's set the record straight first. What happened with Roe v. Wade in the first place? What was Norma McCarvey, who was the, the Roe in Roe v. Wade, what really happened with her? What was the real situation that led to the Supreme Court case? Well, the, the Supreme Court case, it was a setup because um, uh, the, the attorney and um, everybody that was involved with it just needed a, a, a lady that uh, actually wanted an abortion. Uh, and uh, they set the whole thing up. Norma, Miss Norma never even got the abortion. It was a lie uh, from the get-go. She writes about that in her both of her books, the first one before she came to know the Lord, which is I Am Roe, and then, of course, the second one, One by Love. She talks all about how it was a lie. And uh, and it was it was just a setup. So she was used uh, by the uh, pro-abortion community uh, to set this whole thing up. So it did, was, did uh, they it, did, it, did they claim she was raped or something? What what was the the setup? Well, yeah, in terms they, of, cla- they claimed they claimed that she was raped. See, this is the this is the issue. We're going to get to this specifically with this story. But Miss Norma, very much a people pleaser, and would do what people would say. And uh, they told her that she was raped, and Miss Norma said she was raped. And matter of fact, later on, uh, after she came to know the Lord, uh, Miss Norma actually it was even before. Excuse me, before she even came to know the Lord, she just her conscience was guilty, and she was on national television. She said, "I was not raped." And I can remember the of the, the one commentator. I don't remember his name, but I remember him saying, "Oh, it was like a bombshell." He was like, "You indeed were not raped," and she goes, "No, I was not raped." In other words, that was a lie. So you're just seeing this Miss Norma is being played like a puppet. And so when mm-hmm. we when we when our family got to know Miss Norma, uh, everything changed. Mm. All right, David, I, I want you to listen to this. This is a trailer from this documentary. I, I know it's grievous to hear this because you and your family knew her personally, but this is what's getting out and, and we're doing our best as, as your family is to get on top of this to get the truth out. But friends, understand this. Regardless of anything that's happened since 1973, the whole premise of the case 
Roe v. Wade was based on a lie. Just understand You're the right. magnitude of that, friends. All right, let's let's listen to this trailer. This is my deathbed confession. Norma McCorby became the embodiment of the pro-choice cause. I'm not a demure, picture-perfect, white-gloved lady. She wanted to be an activist. She was not the poster girl that would have been helpful. Norma McCorvey, born-again Christian. Hallelujah! When you do what we did to Norma, you lose your soul. This is for all the women to come after me. Her whole life was an attempt to tell her real story. All right, so her real story. David, how did you and your dad get to know her? What's the history of that? And why do you believe that her conversion was genuine? Well, I'll tell you, I posted a video this morning, once uh, we saw this trailer, posted a video this morning of the real conversion of Miss Norma McCorvey. And I'm sure you'll be posting it on your Facebook, and people can go to your Facebook and they can see it. Um, and, And so my dad put his office next door to the busiest abortion facility in Dallas, Texas. And at the time, we as a family were ministering to these mothers. And by the way, the mainstream media always said we were nothing but protesters and agitators and haters and all that typical narrative. But we would have these mothers in our home. We would leverage the church resources to pay for vehicles for these moms that would choose life. I mean, a lot of them, they they chose abortion because they didn't feel they had any other choice. They were financially uh, against all these hardships. And so we were just helping these moms. Well, Dad had no idea that Norma McCorvey was a worker at this particular abortion facility, and and uh, he befriended her because they had a love for the Beach Boys. She was a chain smoker. Dad used to be a chain smoker. He used to be an alcoholic, and uh, she would sit out on the on the bench, uh, out in the parking lot, and Dad would go up and and speak to her. And I talk all about this on the video, and uh, and and one day, uh, Norma had written a book called I Am Roe. And uh, Dad showed up to the press conference, and he said very loudly, "Miss Norma, how dare you?" Or I, Norma McCorvey, whatever he said. I'm paraphrasing now, but how, yeah. how dare you desecrate the lives of 35 million baby boys and girls? Which that numbers up well up over 65 million now of baby boys and girls by selling a book. And it really cut her heart. And he saw her a little bit later, and he said, "I was just convicted that I came across very harsh." And he apologized to her. He went up to yeah. her. He saw her smoking on the bench. He apologized to her, and it was at that moment, and she, she says it on the video, she went inside that abortion facility, into her office, closed the door, turned off the lights, and just started weeping. And I remember, Dr. Brown, I remember I was there when she brought her lesbian partner, Connie, over to our home. And I was there when Miss Connie and Miss Norma were crying, and Miss Connie prayed to receive Jesus Christ, and Miss Connie, Dad my brother and I to Walmart to get a blow-up swimming pool, and we baptized her at a little church down the road called Metro Church. And uh, I-, I was there when we got a U-Haul trailer and helped Miss Norma move uh, out of her home into another home, and and just her embracing our family. We were there at the picnics and all of these things, and just seeing a radical, radical transformation mm. in her and, life. And, and David. I know you guys well enough. I know the story well enough. But for the benefit of those who don't know you and for the, the critics and the skeptics, uh, was anything offered to her? Did you give her a financial incentive? Did you say, hey, look, you've got a big story. If if, if you'll leave here, we'll pay you and we'll videotape you of getting baptized. Of course not. Of course not. That is the biggest lie. First of all, 
Roe versus Wade was based in a lie, and, yep. even, and they, she was used and abused, and even in her death, it is absolutely based in a lie. And, mm. and I'll tell you this, she was never offered anything to convert to Christianity. Just watch the video, and you could see her face, and you could yeah. see her tears, and yep. you could see the genuine relationship. We had this relationship with her, and, and she was never offered any of that. And here's what she was offered. She was offered the love of Jesus Christ with a helping hand community in the pro-life people when she, when uh, the the abortionist at that particular facility, and I've got the name uh, on the press release, I, I put like a little presser on our Facebook page, and I've got the abortionist name in there, but I don't remember it off the top of my head now, but he fired Norma, and he fired Connie. Both of them were without jobs, and we as a family and as a church community came alongside her. As you'd be expected, as you would be expected to, as any Christian you, should do, when someone loses the Bible, their job for coming to faith, and, and now they have nothing. Right. Of course, you surround them. If the Bible teaches us that if someone comes to you with a need and you say, "I'll pray for you, go and be well," and you have means, then you're not doing what's right. Yep. So we took care of Miss Norman. I'll tell you this, Doctor Brown, and this is what the documentary. See, they didn't talk to me and Jason. And when they went and asked my dad, my dad's seventy-two, and I'm not saying you see now. He's not at all. He's very bright. But they didn't tell him what they were doing. Dad had uh, no idea. When he saw this trailer, Dad called me last night, was mortified. I could not imagine. believe they hijacked Flip Benham to bring some validity to this. Because they knew if you don't get Flip Benham, you don't really get the story. So they took Flip Benham. They didn't tell Dad at all. Dad told me, he goes, like, they completely misled me. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited here. They completely misled my dad. And now he's ashamed that he's even on this documentary. But I talked to Miss Norma personally on the phone before she died. Now, not right before she died. This was several months before she passed away. And she was not doing good. She was on medicine. She was really hurting. And she was upset. She was upset about, I mean, Miss Norma, she would say things. Uh, you know, we walked with her for a long time. She would say things that were so off the wall and outrageous. Like, Miss Norma, you can't do. She's like, I don't care. Blankety blank. I'm like, Miss Norma, you know, we're. We're all being sanctified here, right, Dr. Brown? And so, well, in fact, hey, David, David, st- stay right there. From the documentary, let's play clip number two, just to confirm yeah. what you're saying. Clip number two. If you're nice and quiet and polite, nobody pays any attention to you. God just worked a miracle. She jumped from spawn of Satan to a child of Christ. If it were known she was a lesbian, she would be kicked out. I loved her with all my heart. All right, so she's saying she's going to speak her mind, etc., and that's that's who she is. So yeah. first, you guys knew when you ministered to her that she was in a lesbian relationship. Oh, of course. Of so course. that was and that was not as yeah yeah that, that was not a secret. Got it. Got it. All yeah, right, it was so, not a secret. Yeah, well, of course we knew that. So so you were saying that uh, she would speak all kinds of things. She was upset towards the end of her life. So you feel that she was yeah, taken yeah, advantage yeah. of. Oh, uh, she absolutely, this deathbed confession, I mean, I probably, I don't know exactly when they talked to her and when I was on the phone with her, but this is totally different. I, Miss Norma, I'm telling you, she would say things just absolutely outright. Then she'd come back and be like, you know what, that wasn't the truth. She did that on many occasions. And, you know, I, I as a believer, have been walking with the Lord a long time, and I have besetting things in my mind, or I have besetting sins. That I'm like, oh, wait, 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 hold on. You know, I've sp- I spoke way too fast. I didn't listen. You know, I mean, we all deal with these things. Well, Miss Norma would come back and set the record straight. Well, unfortunately, the way that this was manipulated is conveniently released after she's dead. Mm. Now she can't come back and see what they're doing to her. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, with, with Miss Connie, 
Norma loved Miss Connie. She was in a lesbian relationship. It was wrong. She confessed that it was wrong. She knew that it was wrong. And, and Norma was still kind to Miss Connie. We took care of Miss Connie as well. And, 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 and what the, this documentary, and I haven't seen the documentary, obviously it's not out yet, uh, but my understanding is that they're trying to pit us now saying she didn't want to leave Miss Connie and all this other stuff. No, I mean, this is, this is really, it, it's, it's insane because Miss Norma really did genuinely love Connie, and, and Miss Norma knew that a lesbian relationship was not pleasing to God, but she submitted to the Lord. Mm. That's what she did. And she still had this longing inside of her. Hey, yeah, I understand. She's a human being. Human being. Yes. All right, hey, stay right here. David, stay, stay pumped. This is, this is a major issue. But God's going to use this to draw attention to the lie of Roe v. Wade and to draw attention to reality here. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. A few more minutes with David. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. It has cost her physically, emotionally, financially. She was totally lost in her own mess. I knew what she needed. He said, do you like what you're doing? This is from the documentary about... Norma McCarvey claiming that she was paid by the Christian right, that she was never a sincere convert, that she never really became pro-life. The people that have known her, known her for years, had her in their home, spent time with her, very grieved, very upset with this. She said, what does she say? Well, she passed away, and now this is released. I have with me David Benham. He is immediately involved in the story because it was his dad that God used to lead Norma to the Lord. Uh, David, there is a, a clip on this in quotes from Rob Shank, uh, who was a pro-life activist for years and has a, ha- had a change of heart, and he said what the Christian right did, you do this and you lose your soul. Uh, let's not speak about Rob here in terms of your opinion of why he changed, but what do you say to that accusation that somehow you guys sold your souls to, to influence this woman? And hang on, let me, I was so passionate about this also, I didn't bring you back on the air, David, so go ahead, please. Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard for me to hear Rob Shank uh, even speak, because I am very familiar with everything that was happening behind scenes, and how, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about him, I'll, maybe my dad, my brother, and I can speak about that later, uh, but no one sold anybody's soul, missed Norma McCorvey came to know Christ. She experienced the love of Jesus, and she had a genuine conversion and was not paid one red cent. And, uh, and it, was, it was an amazing time. And I spoke to her before she died, and uh, I, I have no idea how soon it was, either before or after she did this interview, but I was speaking with Miss Norma, and she was doing fine. And I am telling you this, I have no idea how someone buddies up to Miss Norma three months before she dies, or however however long all of this took place. It wasn't the over three decades that our family was with her. It wasn't the time when Miss Norma calls me and my brother uh, several months before she passes away, and she knew when she needed some support who she could come to, what family she could trust. But all of these other things, including Rob Shank, just untrustworthy this stuff really bothers me, and it, it's hard because I haven't seen the documentary, so I can't really speak with 
abundant clarity on a lot of these accusations, but the Benham family and the, the real biblical pro-life loving families absolutely did not sell their souls to do anything and did not tell her to be paid up. We didn't pay her a dime to become a Christian. This is absolute agenda bias. This is craziness. Now, do you think that the, the gentleman who did this documentary, Nick Sweeney, do you think he has any reason to be accused of bias? <laughs> well, go to his website and find out the documentaries that he's doing. And then What's you it? come and, yeah, so, I mean, So you've yeah, done that. What, what, what's he into? Well, transgender robots, and I'm stuck in the wrong body, children, as transgender children, and, and these other things. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I don't know this guy, Nick Sweeney, from Adam. All I do know is that he took Flip Benham, and they were not abundantly clear. They were not up front with what their intentions were. Yep. Took an interview from him, grab a bunch of statements and a bunch of facts, and then go, and I have no idea how he cozied up to Miss Norma and got a confession like this. I have no idea what he said. I have no idea what he did. Perhaps he was talking about her being uh, uh, sold and betrayed by Rob Shank. And maybe that's what she was talking about. I have no idea. I haven't even seen it. I don't know any of those details. But I do know this, that when we posted the video, she had a genuine conversion experience. And Roe v. Wade was birthed in a lie. And now even without her being alive, and we know, we know Miss Norma very well. She backed off of many statements and had to backtrack and say, that wasn't right. I, I shouldn't have said it that way, and I shouldn't have said this, and I lied about that. And that was just something that, in her, in her maturing walk with the Lord, that was just something that our family dealt with, and we walked alongside of her. And now she can't set the record straight because she's dead. And they released this movie after she's dead. Why didn't they do it the last 25 years? Why didn't they do it then? Because Miss Norma would have stood up and said, "Whoa, hold on a second. Wait, what kind of what kind of agenda are you pushing here?" And, and and David, the reason that you were in touch with her a few months before she died was because you're she was a friend of the family. Absolutely, yeah. She knew, and 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 uh, she was in uh, Texas, and she reached out, and she had she had talked with my dad. She wanted my brother and I's cell phone, and and we talked. Told her how much we loved her. We asked her all about how's it going in Texas. She was telling us about the little place where she was living and some of the stuff that she was doing. But she was really, I mean, uh, she was frustrated because her health was declining rapidly. Uh, she was frustrated at some of the folks uh, that uh, you know, people like the Rob Shanks of the world that, uh, you know, were not always up front with Miss Norma. Uh, but th- this is, I-, I still, Dr. Brown, I'm just, I'm, I'm really just blown away that they're now running with this saying that she was paid to become a convert to Christianity. That is a lie. That is an absolute lie. And if you want to take biblical Christianity on helping somebody that was just fired from their job because they asked Christ to come into their heart, and she was in a lesbian relationship, and her lesbian partner desperately needed help, and our family took them in, and our church helped support their needs, if you want to say that that is paying someone off, well, then that is a lie right out of the pit of hell. Yeah, David, you remember a few years ago, I got a call from a Christian woman working at Planned Parenthood and was wondering if it was okay to do it or not. And when I spoke to her plainly and said, you could never work there another day of your life, she was single parent, needed the money. I said, you could never work there another day of your life. 
and I explained. I said, even though you're at the receptionist at the front, you're, you're guilty of working in the whole thing. And then she began to talk more, broke down sobbing about going to the back of the building and seeing the products of conception, you know, as they're called, the, the baby remains, and, and, and came under deep conviction. And while I was talking to her, one of my colleagues texted me and said, hey, let's make sure we get her contact info. If she leaves, we need to surround this woman with help. Well, she left Pam. She never worked another day there. They offered her more money. And I called you guys immediately and said, hey, your network, we may need to rally around, connect her with some other strong pro-life ladies. And then, and then ended up, she got married. Then she's got a, another job and all that. But, but you guys were there at a critical time. She left everything with no hope of any money, with no thought of any money. She did it because it was right under conviction. And she wrote me a couple years later, said, you saved my life. I'm not anonymous anymore. Gave her a whole name, her story. And, and it's come out afterwards. That's what Christians do. For the world to then say, oh, you gave them financial incentives to leave, especially when, when they're making a whole lot more money at Planned Parenthood, is it, so diabolical. David, what, what would you that. yeah, what, what would you say to, to folks who are watching this whole thing, they're going to get upset as well. We want to redeem this. Obviously, we're going to get your message out, your dad's message out as much as possible. We've got a wonderful two-minute clip we'll, we'll play before this broadcast is over uh, about her conversion experience. But in two minutes, David, if you could speak to everyone, we want to redeem this. How, how, what can, can be done through this, maybe to activate people, to, get, to be pro-life? Give us a practical step or two to take, rather than just everybody getting angry or, or boycotting yeah. Hulu. What can we do to save babies, to save lives? Well, number one, we got to enter. We got to join the conversation. We we can't be silent because our silence is is just. I mean, that's just going to only bolster uh, this narrative. Uh, another thing that we we need to do is even talk about our own salvation experience. <laughs> when the gospel comes into someone's heart and change transforms them, that's yeah. not some. You, it, that's not some pay-for-play thing, and, and really the gospel is what's at the center of this. And another thing, late in people's lives, especially when they're heavily medicated, especially when they have had just the, the, the roller coaster of a life as Miss Norma, you don't become some perfect little saint that says everything right all the time. And, and for, for someone to come alongside her, I mean, heck, there's even, even Billy Graham said some things he probably wouldn't have absolutely loved before he had passed away. I mean, all of these people, this, this is just manipulation. So we've got to step in, and we've got to speak the truth and speak it in love. And the most redemptive thing of all of this is this, this, this only shows how desperate the culture of death has become, mm. that they are going to take a dead woman and rewrite her history, rewrite her story, and shoehorn it into their perverted narrative, into their twisted narrative, that's how desperate they are, because not only do we have conscience on our side, because everybody truly understands it's, it's a baby when they see it, but we also have science on our side, and now we have an unbelievable momentum. Dr. Brown, at the, at the height of the abortion movement uh, in 1991, there were over 2,000 freestanding abortion facilities. There are less than 700 today, and mm. not one, uh, Roe v. Wade has not been overturned. What it is, is it's Christians loving their neighbor as themselves, loving the Norma McCorveys of the world and saying, it's okay, I, you're in a lesbian world, that's okay, we love you, we're here to help you. Here in Charlotte, over 5,000 mothers in the last 10 years have chosen our Life Network and are getting support, they're getting help, and if you want to say that that is paying people to not get an abortion, 
That is a lie from hell, and we will stand against it. And it's all this is doing is just mobilizing and magnetizing even more pro-life believers. And, and David, what's the best website? If people want to find out, what can they do? How can they get involved in their local city? What are some ideas? Yeah. Where would you send them? Yes, you need to go to lovelife.org, lovelife.org. And right now, we uh, th- this is a ministry that Jason and I helped. We're, we're on the board. Uh, and this is a prayer movement across the nation, and it is birthing sidewalk missionaries across the nation to make sure that we have a presence, a loving presence, to help these mothers at their m- biggest time of need on sidewalks at, at the remaining 700 abortion facilities, and it's plugging them into the mentor network. It's helping people with foster and adoption. Lovelife.org is an amazing thing, and we've got an initiative we call Love Life Now, which means now is the time to, to step in and help these mothers that desperately need us. My friends, I'm convinced God wants to use this in a redemptive way. Let tens of thousands of pro-life activists get involved to save lives and to preach the gospel in the memory of Norman McCorvey. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I want to play one more clip, and this is from Flip Benham, the man that God used to lead Norm McCorvey to the Lord. You've heard from family members, Flip's sons that knew Norma, were there when she got converted, knew her story, knew the truth of it. It's got to be very frustrating when lies spread. And you know, no matter how much truth gets out, people are going to believe lies. They're going to believe just a clip, a soundbite. And, and, and here's what I think about. Uh, here's something that every one of you will be able to relate to. If you say, no, but there are actual clips of Norma McCarvey there in the nursing home, and she's got a breathing tube in her nose and all this. And she's saying that the whole thing was a lie, a sham. She was paid, never real. Now she says her deathbed confession. Let me just throw something out to you that you can relate to. How many of you know a married couple? You know a married couple, and for 30 years, they seem happily married. And then, to the wife's shock, the husband announces, we're getting a divorce. I never loved you. I never, ever loved you. Well, what it is, is he found somebody else, and he's interested in this other gal, and he's tired of his wife, or they've been having fights lately. And, and now, in his mind, he has reconstructed the last 30 years. We've all seen this happen. So who knows what was going on in Norma's life at the end of her days? And who knows, maybe she actually questioned things. or Who in the world knows? But we've seen these things happen. What you do know is people knew her for years and years and years and years and years and watched her transformation and and would talk about it and were in touch with her for years. So check this out. This is Flip Benham's story, and you'll hear things out of Norma's own lips. When she was introducing her new book, I said Norma McCorvey, and I said it very loud because the police were keeping us far, far away. Norma McCorvey, your lie ushered in the wholesale slaughter of over 35 million little baby boys and girls. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And when I spoke those words, I knew that they fell into her heart. And he comes walking out of nowhere like God himself, like the Messiah of all times. And he's got on his suit, and he's... He's dashing. He looks great. And he tells me this, and it crushes me. 
and that hurt me and I know it grieved the Spirit of God and I promised myself that if I ever had another opportunity to speak with her I would apologize and and God provided that opportunity by allowing us to move here and then one Saturday morning I, I saw Miss Norma there was nobody around except me in this office and Miss Norma on the other side and I said Miss Norma Miss Norma I need to ask you something and we sat over on that bench right over there and there I asked her to forgive me for those words that I had spoken and you know what she did that won my heart when he said in on that bench in front of that abortion mill and said Norma it's totally wrong I apologize for saying that to you I don't even remember if I said anything or not. I would have to look at Flip and see. But I do remember I went back into the mill, and I went into my office, and I closed my door, and I turned off my lights, and I cried. And she began to see that there were people in this place right next to her that really did care about Norma McCorvey. Yeah, and... She gets born again, has a real conversion, was in a lesbian relationship. And yes, when she was fired from working for the abortion organization, the abortion mill, when she's fired from that, yes, Christians stood around her to support, as you would expect would happen. But let us pray that this will all be redeemed for the glory of God that we will talk even more about the lie that started this whole thing. The lie was she's raped and had to have an abortion. She didn't even have an abortion. This is what birthed Roe v. Wade. That's the lie that birthed it. Let the truth come out about that. Let, let, let people in America reckon with that, that the case that opened the door for the slaughter of tens of millions of babies in America was based on a lie. And let this be a provocation to us to get involved and to make a difference in the pro-life movement. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, we're going to shift gears here. We're going to take some calls. And then I've got another important coronavirus faith church-related update for you. But first to the phones, and we start with William in Pleasant Garden, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Yes, uh, thank you, Dr. Brown. You're welcome. Um, I, my my call is regarding the uh, peace plan that— uh, uh, President Trump uh, has initiated with Israel for the uh, change of the Temple uh, Mount uh, to allow the uh, the mosque to come under the Arab control. Um, I, my question is: Do you see this as a fulfillment of uh, Zechariah eight twenty three, where the uh, ten men from shall grab hold of the robe of one? Jew and say, uh, let, let us go with you um, to worship. Could you explain how you would make that connection? In, in, in other words, why you would see any of this peace treaty with having to do with that passage? Well, my understanding is uh, when the Saudis take over control of the mosque, they're going to allow all nations to come up to worship at the mosque, which of course has never been done. So I see this as a prophetical um, change. Right, but that, that would be, yeah. So, okay, I understand your thinking. Uh, n- number one, 
the Muslim authorities have certain control over the mosque and, and Israel makes sure that nobody violates what is considered to be the sanctity of, of that. Uh, and, and in fact, that has even hindered Israel's ability to supervise certain things regarding the Temple Mount because of, of Palestinian Authority control in, in certain areas. But Ze- Zechariah 8 uh, can be read in several different ways. One is an end-time passage because of God's favor on, on the Jewish people in Israel and God bringing all nations to Jerusalem and the millennial kingdom, that, that when someone is recognized as a Jew, that means they're a God-fearing person that knows the Lord and, and people will, will follow them and listen to them. That's one way of reading it. Some would read it as a messianic prophecy that, that the Jew is the Messiah himself. Uh, others would read it in terms of just even now, as Jewish believers bring the message of Messiah to the nations that, that people gather and follow. So there are several different potential ways to read it. But certainly, no, I would not see it in any way related to the peace treaty. And the last thing I would see it related to is, is people now going uh, to, to, to the mosque, uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and Dome of the Rock, uh, in Jerusalem, I would uh, absolutely not see that as all, at all. And all the nations of the world have access to that, but you've got to be Muslim to go in, in there and pray. Hey, thank you for, for asking. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we'll stay in North Carolina. Michael in Louisville, welcome to the line of fire. Yes, uh, this is concerning what you were talking about yesterday, about adding and subtracting from the Bible, and you were talking about the Mormons. Well, now, isn't the Catholicism the same thing where they have, I believe it's the Catechism at, that they have to do also, or am I reading more into what you were saying yesterday? Um, let me say yes and no, all right? No in terms of Catholics do not have books external to what they understand to be the Scriptures, so the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Apocrypha. They do not have other books outside of that that they consider it to have supernatural inspired authority the same way as the Bible, whereas the Mormons claim that this Book of Mormon was supernaturally revealed to Joseph Smith and is, is a divine prophetic revelation just like the Bible is divine prophetic revelation. So Catholics do not have that. But the, oh, reason, okay. I say, the reason I say yes is that for a Catholic, tradition is also inspired. Not every tradition— But in other words, like one Orthodox Jew once said to me, a rabbi, he said, for me, our traditions are like another book of the Bible. In other words, it is not considered the Bible itself, but it has, in the view of a Catholic, divine authority. So if I say to a religious Jewish man, why is it that you're wearing a yarmulke, a head covering, that's not in the Bible at all? He'd say, I don't get it from the Bible, I get it from tradition. So I said, well, you have no problem taking it off. No, it's sacred to him, all right? If I say to a Catholic, well, why are you doing that? It's not in the Bible. They'd say, well, it's church tradition. So church tradition, in that sense, has equal authority to Scripture. So they don't claim that it's additional Scripture. They don't claim that it's additional Bible. But they do claim that it has divine authority, that if, if something has been accepted as a church tradition or passed down or canonized in some way, that it's therefore sacred. And for a Catholic to violate that, would be just the same as violating Scripture. So there are similarities in that regard, and that's why everyone, be, be it a religious Jew, be it a Catholic, be it an Eastern Orthodox, be it anyone, an evangelical Christian, 
whatever traditions we have must be tested by Scripture because Scripture alone is Scripture. So thanks for asking. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying that, and you have a very blessed day. You too. Appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Iowa, Montel. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I got a question uh, with regards to uh, something that you said yesterday. You had a caller call, and I didn't get to hear the whole thing because when you when I heard it, I had to hurry up and ask you uh, an additional question to it. So it's a two-part question, so real fast. Uh, you said, I, I called several weeks ago about the prophecy about, about this uh, coronavirus. My question to you is, uh, you said that there were some prophecies that were right on, and some that weren't. Okay, I get the ones that weren't. Uh, I would like to know the ones that you said were right on. And then the second question is uh, regards to the Pentecost part. Like, what what is your view on um, their prophetic voices talking about on Pentecost is going to be something happening? Right. Okay, so Montel, the second question I can answer very quickly I still haven't read any of those prophecies. Uh, all I know about it is what the gentleman asked on the phone, what, and, he, and he wanted to know, as, as you rightly said, what did I make of the prophecies that uh, there's going to be a great outpouring this year on Pentecost Sunday? So I haven't heard them. So I haven't, uh, I haven't even had a second to think about looking, looking them up and trying to see. So I, I can't say anything more because I haven't seen them. But this, this much we know if there were clear prophecies that this is going to happen on some large scale, then we'll know about it. If it happens, and we'll know about it if it doesn't happen. As for prophetic um, words that seem to be right on in terms of what's happening with the virus, there are a couple that got my attention. So we come back on the other side of the break. I'm going to explain which prophetic words seem to me to be right on and accurate, and others I've freely said not so, wrong, even from the same people. This was right. This was wrong, and we, we need accountability when things are wrong. Okay, we'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us, 866-34-TRUTH. So, Montel, the uh, prophetic word that Tracy Cook had given about everything being shaken, that could be shaken over a a four-and-a-half-month period, beginning of of the new year, uh, you know, that's... It's not a specific mentioning of virus, but you know, if you look in biblical prophecy, it's it's often giving clear generalities. So when the thing actually happens, like yeah, that that was real. That seemed to me to to be a real word. You know, we're yet to see if the vaccine comes out of Israel. That was supposed to be you know major. Uh, you know, we shall see. Uh, now there's been tremendous controversy over a, a word, alleged word from Chuck Pierce saying that there would be a plague-like test that would, would come and it would test us through Passover and then something like that. And anyway, Justin Peters has a whole video out on it where he is, uh, goes through documentation, contacted Chuck Pierce's ministry, went, reviewed uh, the major prophecies for the previous year and said the whole thing is bogus, he's lying. 
And uh, so Justin had documented it as best as he could. I give him credit for really putting that together well. I pursued it on my end, and what I discovered was that there were journal entries that uh, Chuck has made known to others, showed them, and had showed them privately before this, uh, said copies of it from, you know, et cetera, written out when they were written, that he got this word about a plague-like test that was going to come and test the world, et cetera. If, in fact, that's accurate, excuse me? So you trust, so you trust, uh, so do you have, uh, so you trust Chuck, Chuck, uh, uh, so because of your research, do you trust a little bit of what Chuck is saying? Okay. I trust that the people that did the research worked very hard. I asked them to watch the Justin Peters video. I take what Justin did very, very seriously. He, he put time and effort and energy into that. Although we differ on a number of points, I, I think he was as thorough as he could be, and he exposed a lot of false prophecies and wrong words and wrong-headed words. Uh, I don't want to oh, mention Chuck every... Pierce? No, no, um, the Chuck Pierce thing is, is he, he investigated as thoroughly as he could, and I appreciate that, and he reached out to them personally, as I did. The people that did further research because they were going to be writing more about this, they're convinced, and they got other people that, that verified, yes, they saw this, they heard this from Chuck, he just didn't have uh, release to speak it publicly at that time. I believe they did adequate research. That's all I can say. I can't say anything beyond that. What's, what's my own opinion? That if, in, uh, obviously, if, if true, then that would be very accurate, okay? Uh, so, uh, when I say Justin exposed error, I, I mean some other things, you know, unfortunate comments of Kenneth Copeland and the thing was called at this hour and stopped. And then, it, I mean, it's just false. It's just, it just didn't happen. Wrong, false. He was, he was off, period. End of subject. Uh, but the Chuck Pierce thing, I can only say that within the last two days, I was sent more information from very, very thorough people that are are known to me to 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 not take an answer until they can verify it, and they felt satisfied. Now, I, st- I haven't seen everything myself, so I'm, I'm still in between giving a final verdict just because I haven't, I, have, I haven't had it sent to me to, to look at. But Montel, the, the people who did the research uh, watched Justin's video. I told them everything I knew in terms of uh, checking things out, why it should be questioned, so I, uh, as Justin knows, as I've informed him, I was doing my due diligence on this as well. So I can only say the people who did the investigation are very thorough. Uh, beyond that, we shall still study about other things. But look, I have no problem saying where people were off. It's, it's so, and we have to have more accountability. And the other thing is, I don't think that God shows us everything that's going to happen. Sometimes he does, and when he does, it's wonderful. Sometimes he prepares us and warns us, and, and that's wonderful and important when that happens. Uh, other times we just go by, by the wisdom of the word or our own life experience and things like that. But thanks for calling Montel. And I would suggest that you'll get documentation in a book called The Passover Prophecies, a Chuck Pierce book that's coming out shortly. You'll be able to research it, study it, look at the evidence for yourself. So look for that, Chuck Pierce, The Passover Prophecies. And, and I'll be conveying all this to Justin's well. I haven't written to him yet, but I'll be conveying all this to Justin as well for his 
further investigation. But again, as much as Justin and I have very deep and profound differences, I appreciate him holding people accountable. I do. Hey, thanks for the call, Montel. Okay. What should churches do right now as far as regathering? Where is faith involved? Where is presumption involved? Where is wisdom involved? What about pushing back against the government? So I've got some articles here. Uh, Department of Justice. So Bill Barr, Department of Justice, warning uh, that California church closures may violate religious freedoms in a letter to Gavin Newsom. And the Department of Justice is pushing back in state after state saying, you are discriminating. You are discriminating against churches. You say, well, what's the discrimination here? Well, there is a phase two reopening of businesses and other services. A church is not included in that. And then there is a phase three, and they're included in phase three. I've spoken at length to a pastor, a colleague in California, who sent me the all the requirements, the onerous demands of what has to happen to have services and do things this way, this way, that way, etc. So, so, uh, it's good that there's pushback because there has been discrimination in certain ways and, and there has been overreach from the government and even overkill in terms of, maybe it's the wrong word, overkill, but going too far in terms of you can't do this, have to do this, etc. All right, so that, that's number one. Now, here's another headline, just grabbing this here. Um, Two southern churches forced to reclose after congregants get coronavirus. This is churches in Georgia and Texas. They opened up their doors. They did social distancing and things like that. Now, several people have come down. A number have come down with the virus, and one has died. Leaders died. And okay, what do you do with that? All right, how do you sort that out? And 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 then and then go through all the details there, word about a controversial Christian leader in Cameroon laid hands on numbers of people with the virus, pronounced them healed. Now he has died of the virus himself. And other people he prayed for wondering, well, what about them? Now, I understand that when you pray for the sick, you can really feel, I believe, have you ever done that? Prayed for someone's healing and really believed they were healed and they weren't? You really thought you believed they were healed and, and they weren't? Have you ever even told someone, I believe God's healed you? Many of us have made mistakes like that in our zeal. You're praying for something else. You really think it's going to happen. You're confident, and I believe it, and that it doesn't happen. Okay, I'm not condemning this pastor for this. I don't know his heart. I don't know his life. I don't know if he really felt he was acting in faith and risking his life to pray for people. I don't know if he was acting in presumption. Uh, That's between him and God. I make no judgment of it. But it, it, it comes back to questions for us. This is now several leaders that I know about, that I've read about, that said, we're going on with our services, it doesn't matter, God's bigger than this, or God can protect us, or God can keep us, and they are now dead of the virus. And I know in other cases, people said, what are these restrictions for? They're crazy, and everything's being exaggerated, and the media's exaggerating, and the health experts can't get things right. It's a, it's a very... Difficult situation because, number one, we want to honor God and walk in faith. Number two, we want to love our neighbor and, and not carry a disease to them. Number three, there, there is overreach in certain places by the government, and we don't want our essential liberties restricted. Uh, number four, there are larger questions just in terms of economy and, and, and getting back to work, and, and that affects us in many ways. So, 
all I can say is, is this. Number one, don't be reactionary. Don't, well, the government, okay, maybe the government, your local government is, is going too far. Maybe there's something harsh here. Don't react in the flesh. Step back and get God's mind. And in city after city, Liberty Council, Alliance Defending Freedom, even the Department of Justice, they're pushing back against the overreach of local governments. All right? So don't be reactionary. But if you need to take a stand, then do it righteously. Do it prayerfully. That's one. Two is don't experiment with faith. All right? Don't, don't try out your faith. It's one thing if you say, I really believe Jesus healed me and I don't need my glasses anymore. Okay, well, then you'll be able to see. But you don't get in your car and drive without your glasses to test your healing. No, if you can see, you can see. Well, I'm going to go off my, my insulin because I believe I'm healed of diabetes. If you're healed of diabetes, a doctor will verify that for you, and then you won't need the insulin. All right? So the point is you, you don't want to experiment with faith. And if, as a pastor, you're confident before God with a good track record that you're acting wisely and safely, then even though there can still be restrictions with social distancing and things, do your best to act with wisdom for the sake of your community and your neighborhood. Remembering you're not going to know everyone that comes in the door. You're not going to know the medical condition of everyone that comes in the door. Again, my own normal reaction, just go ahead, hold services, get 10 million people in the building. Just trust God. I mean, that's my normal faith reaction, but then you have wisdom with that. So, Push back in a righteous way against government overreach. Don't try to experiment with your faith. If you do feel it's right to go on with meetings, just do them with wisdom for the sake of your community, for the sake of your neighbors. And I trust the Lord will honor and bless as you do that. All right, friends, Thirdly Jewish Thursday, a ton of stuff going on and your calls. So stay right with us. You don't want to miss a beat. Change the world.